Today, we study a man who was born on the day that he should have died. He was born a Hebrew in Egypt on a day when Pharaoh declared that all newborn baby boys were to be drowned in the Nile. He was this close to being exterminated. But in the nick of time, instead of drowning him in the Nile, his mother put him in a wicker basket and sent him floating down the Nile River, which could have led to his death just as easily. One small wave, one rogue current, one curious crocodile, and that could have meant his death that day. But miraculously, the boy didn't die. Instead, his basket came ashore like a message in a bottle. And the one who found him was none other than Pharaoh's own daughter. She knew this baby boy was a Hebrew, but instead of killing the baby, according to the law, she asked her father Pharaoh for an exception to the rule and requested that she might be able to keep the baby. So Pharaoh's daughter raised this boy, snatched from the brink of death, and she named him Moses, which means take out. She didn't name her boy Takeout because she was a fan of Chinese food. Uh, she named him Takeout because she took him out of the Nile. But this is one of those cases where God shows his super wise planning and his great sense of humor at the same time. Pharaoh raised this boy named Takeout thinking that his name referred to his being taken out of the river. When in God's sovereign plan, takeout didn't refer to being taken from the Nile, but how he would be the one who would take out God's people from slavery in Egypt. God had a plan for Moses' life. He's Mr. Takeout. Pharaoh didn't know God's plan for Moses. Moses didn't know God's plan for Moses. And I'm sure that when Moses thought of his name, he didn't think of some great plan from God. He thought about how his mother, his own mother, sent him up the river and he almost died. So Moses grew up with a lot of fear. This fear led him to a desperate act. Moses saw an Egyptian slave driver beating one of his Hebrew brothers, and so without thinking, Moses killed the Egyptian and buried him in the sand. Then Moses had a whole new set of fears because that murder was found out. And so he ran into the wilderness as a fugitive and worked the next 40 years as a sheep herder. The Bible supplies this summary statement of Moses' life in Exodus chapter 2, verse 14. Moses was afraid. But while Moses trembled in fear, God had big plans for his life. And one day, while Moses was out tending his sheep, God spoke to him through a burning bush. And God said, Moses, I am sending you back to Egypt to Pharaoh to take my people out of slavery and set them free. And Moses' response comes in chapter 3, verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? 
These are the words of fear. God had plans for Moses, but there was one obstacle preventing Moses from fulfilling his part in God's plan. And the obstacle was inside Moses. The obstacle was the way Moses saw God and saw himself in relation to God. The obstacle inside Moses is fear. So God had to deal with Moses' fear because before Moses could set God's people free from slavery, Moses had to first let God set him free from fear. And what is true for Moses is true for me. Before I can truly engage in God's big plan for my life, I must first allow God to set me free from fear. We think that the reason that God doesn't seem to use us very much or we don't seem to be part of some big plan to set people free in our lives, we think it's because of our lack of talent or our lack of education or our lack of special sparkling personality or opportunity. This is wrong. Scripture makes it clear that when it comes to God's big plan for my life, there is one obstacle, and it is not lack of talent, education, personality, or opportunity. The obstacle is inside me, and it is fear. And so I must allow God to deal with my fears the way Moses allowed God eventually to deal with his fears. How did God deal with Moses' fears. This is where I need you to turn your Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 4. This is the second book in the Bible, Exodus 4. If you're using the Bible in front of you, I believe this is on page 42. Now, if you listen, you will hear God dealing with Moses' three fears, which happen to be the same three fears that you and I have. Exodus chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Moses answered, What if they did not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to Moses, What is in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, Throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, Reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was leprous, like snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first miraculous sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. So God wanted to use Moses in a great way, but Moses was afraid. So to overcome his fear, God gave Moses three signs that had the double benefit of proving Moses' authority to others, while at the same time addressing Moses' three fears internally. The action begins in verse 3, uh, where God says, Moses, throw down your staff. 
And the staff becomes a snake. And Moses had been in the wilderness for 40 years. And so he knows a poisonous snake when he sees one. So uh, when he sees his snaff be, uh, staff become this hissing, dangerous serpent, he leaps back in terror. But then God calls Moses to take the snake. And he says, pick it up by the tail. And Moses says, God, everybody knows that well, you shouldn't touch a snake. But if you have to pick up a snake... You never pick it up by the tail. You pick it up by the head because that's safer. But Moses trusts God, reaches out and picks up the snake by the tail. And when he does, the staff turns back or the snake turns into his trusty shepherd's staff. God uses the staff and snake transformation to overcome Moses' first fear. The snake is, was not only a representation for Pharaoh himself, he wore cobra signatures all over his body, but the snake is supposed to make us think of that old serpent that tempted Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The snake is symbolic of the spiritual forces of evil and darkness. When God instructs Moses to pick up the snake by the tail, God is teaching Moses and me, do not fear the spiritual forces of evil. And just like Moses, God wants to use Christ followers like me and like you to lead people out of slavery and set them free in Christ. But I cannot be used to set other people free until I first learn to pick up the snake by the tail. I must allow God to set me free from the fear of evil and the spiritual forces of darkness. A few of you have heard this before, but uh, I got my pastoral training in a uh, seminary on the north shore of Boston, uh, very close to the village of Salem, Massachusetts, which is, of course, famous for its uh, witch trials of the 17th century. Well, today, Salem, Massachusetts boasts a rather large population of people who call themselves witches and warlocks. In fact, uh, the village has its own official head witch in a woman named Lori. And as a head witch, uh, Lori is a popular figure in town and is the owner of a large store which sells books of spells and uh, herbal potions and crystals. While I was at the seminary, there was a rumor that just like we knew about the witches in Salem, the witches knew about us. And uh, the Salem witches knew about us and that the witches came regularly uh, in the middle of the night onto the seminary property to perform occult ceremonies uh, and to cast evil spells upon us, uh, the students. Uh, and it was reportedly found that there was uh, animal blood and animal parts that were found on the seminary property. Now, keep in mind, the people that... Uh, told these stories were not wild-eyed fanatics. They were college-educated people who pointed to credible evidence that curses had been pronounced upon us. Uh, I was always in the category of, uh, isn't studying Greek and Hebrew curse enough? And uh, now we've got to have witch curses on us as well? I mean, come on. Uh, the witch cursing was not talked about all the time. 
but I remember it was mentioned, especially during a time when a significant number of students had to leave uh, due to health problems. And people said these people were preparing to be pastors and missionaries and they had to quit because they got these mysterious illnesses. And I don't know if any of these uh, witch-cursing rumors were true, but what I do know is the effect that they had, and it was a sense of fear. And uh, I felt myself being a, a little afraid. I, I can be a little bit of a hypochondriac myself, and uh, you know, I felt this back pain, and thought, oh, I'm being cursed by a witch or something. And, uh, and after thinking this, God just said to me so clearly, do not be afraid. And then I sense God saying something else. I sense God saying, Steve, not only should you not be afraid, but you should go and find those witches and introduce yourself. And my first reaction was, how many, how many, how many, how many, how many? Well, you want me to... <laughs> yeah, I should what? I should go and introduce myself so they can curse me in person? Or uh... That was my first reaction. My second reaction was, God, I see your point. That if you, if you are on my side, if you're in control of my life, that you are who you say you are and I am who I am in relation to you, there is absolutely nothing to fear. And the best way to address this fear is to march right into it. And so I called the head witch at her shop, uh, Lori, and so I got there. She led me into uh, her shop, you know, in, in the back room, past this, past these beads, and there was all these spinning crystals on threads. And I told her I was looking forward to meeting her, and and I I did ask her how that she became a witch and what it meant, and so she explained that witchcraft is you know tapping into the mysterious powers of uh, Mother Earth, and then I I asked her if I could share my story of how I came to follow Jesus and why I was preparing to be a pastor, and so I did. And uh, she was really proud of her shop, and she gave me a flyer about how she held lectures in her shop about various uh, spiritual topics. And I asked if I could teach one on Jesus. And at this point, she looked very concerned. And uh, she called some of the other workers in the shop and uh, told them what I told her. And then they all looked a little concerned. And they said, no. Uh, but they were really nice people. And so I didn't ask them whether they were cursing the seminary or not. Uh, but before I left, I did ask them if I could pray God's blessing upon them. And they said, sure. And uh, people ask me whether I was uh, scared to speak to those witches. And the truth is, I was not scared. But by the end, I think they were a little afraid of me. And <laughs> uh, they were really happy when I left. Uh, but, you know, those witches were not demons. Uh, just ordinary lost people, like all of us once were. And, you know... Uh, as a church, we're not the kind of people who see demons under every rock, but we do believe in the reality of the demonic because Jesus did. And I have met a person or two who was demonized, and I've prayed with people who were tormented by uh, the demonic. And if you were to ask me if I'm afraid to confront demons in Jesus' name, I'd say, no, I'm not afraid. But the demons are. 
And the reason they're afraid is not anything to do with me, but because of who Jesus is. The forces of darkness tremble at the sound of the name Jesus. The forces of evil do not fear me, but if you know Jesus and you know who you are in Jesus, demons shrink in fear from the power and authority you carry. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 1, Moses voices his fear. What if they don't believe me or they don't listen to me? You see, Moses' fear comes from his doubts about who God is and who he is in relation to God. And God's answer to Moses is, let me show you who I am and who you are. Go ahead, pick up the snake by the tail. And in the same way, if you are in Christ, Jesus says, you don't need to be afraid of curses. You don't need to fear evil. You don't need to tremble in the face of temptation or intimidation. And you don't need to fear speaking up for Jesus, standing up for Jesus, and lighting up with Jesus in the darkness of this world. God calls you to fearlessly pick up the snake by the tail and fearlessly talk about your relationship with Jesus in a way that allows God to work in other people that come into contact with you and sometimes turns them around to find the same freedom from fear that you have in Christ. Just like to Moses, God says to you, Don't be afraid. I am with you. Now go, set some people free. But just like Moses, before God can use people to set Uh, use me to set people free, I first must let God set me free from fear. Now back to the story. Uh, Just because Moses had this first sign, he wasn't ready to charge into Egypt. Uh, Moses was still afraid for his physical safety. Moses was saying to himself, going into Egypt is a suicide mission. Uh, It means going back to the place where I was wanted for murder. Uh, It means confronting the most powerful man in the world with a message that will make him so mad that he will want to execute me on the spot. And full of fear for his physical safety, God gives Moses this second sign. In verse 6, God tells Moses to put his hand inside his cloak. And when Moses withdraws his hand, it is infested with the most dreaded disease in Moses' day, leprosy. Uh, Leprosy was the most dreaded disease of Moses' day. Contracting leprosy meant uh, physical suffering, and it was incurable. But when Moses brought this leprous hand back inside his cloak, he was miraculously cured from an incurable disease. God used this second sign to cure Moses of his fear of personal insecurity for his personal safety. God tells Moses and me, do not fear for your physical safety. The miracle of the leprous hand taught Moses and should teach me that God has power over the forces that impact my body and the extension of my life. And because God has these things in his control, I can be set free from fear. 
Many of us forfeit opportunities to be a part of God's plan because we're afraid of what might happen in the physical sense. God calls us to, to serve in the urban center. And I say, no, I, I might get mugged. Uh, God calls me to bring Jesus to somebody in a faraway place. And I say, no, I, I'm afraid to fly. God calls me to visit the sick. And I say, no, no, I might catch something. I will never be part of God's great plan for my life if my choices say, God, I will follow you as long as it's completely safe. You know, Jesus gave his disciples a clear command in Matthew 28 that goes like this. Therefore, go. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. What if after Jesus said this, the disciples said, okay, Jesus, we'll follow you anywhere, just as long as it's completely safe. What do you think Jesus would have said? Well, those followers did not say that, probably because of how Jesus ended that commission when he said, and surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Just as God said to Moses, God says to me, do not be afraid. I am with you. Now go and set some people free. But just like Moses, before I can set other people free, I must first allow God to set me free from a life that is controlled by fear. Now, finally, in verses 8 and 9, God told Moses that the third sign was to collect some water from the Nile in a bowl, and when he poured it out, it would turn into blood on the dry ground. Moses had lived uh, along the Nile uh, long enough to know what this sign meant. The Nile River was the single most important force in Egyptian life. Not only did the Nile supply drinking water in an arid land, but also seasonally the Nile flooded its banks, which uh, brought fertility to to the areas around the Nile and allowed for agriculture and food. Uh, The Nile was the life of Egypt, but the Nile was also viciously unpredictable. At times, the Nile was a force of blessing. At other points, the Nile was a force of disappointment and destruction and disease. And always, the the Nile was a force beyond human control. The third sign of, of changing Nile water into blood represented God's control over situations that are completely beyond human control. In this sign, God tells Moses and me, do not fear circumstances beyond your control. So much of life is beyond my control. And that is why I am tempted to worry. So many of us, instead of being a part of God's big plan, are trapped. We're trapped in the what-if worry cage. What if the economy goes further south? What if my savings dry up? What if my kid never straightens out his or her life? What if my marriage fails? What if I never get married? What if I lose my job? What if, what if, what, 
I can't enjoy God's plan for my life if I'm constantly trembling over circumstances that are beyond my control. God can't use me to set others free if I'm enslaved and caged by worry and fear. And just as God said to Moses, God says to you, don't be afraid of negative circumstances. Remember who I am and who you are in relation to me. I have a joyful plan for your life. From the very beginning, God had this wonderful plan for this little boy named Takeout. In the same way, God wants to lead you to this wonderful plan for your life. But God can't lead you if you are already being led by fear. By fears of the dark. By fears for your physical safety. Fears for circumstances beyond your control. You can't be led by God and fear at the same time. You must choose. You have to choose whether you're going to let God rule your life or let fear rule your life. Now, what is true for me and you as individual Christ followers is also true for us as a church. And we here at BlackRock have chosen that we are going to follow God and not fear. Let me just let you in on a little secret. Uh, the reason I wanted to study this passage in Exodus 4 today is because God used this passage about Moses to give a clear message to the pastoral leadership of BlackRock. Uh, several months ago, the pastoral staff uh, gathered for a retreat uh, devoted for, to prayer and also to planning uh, the transition that we're going to be entering in as a church for the uh, for next 18 months. And as we were planning all these pieces uh, for our move and, uh, and seeing all the moving parts for the temporary facilities, we were tempted to take on some fear and anxiety and to be overwhelmed. But then when we studied Exodus 4 together, we saw how God encouraged Moses to follow him instead of fear. And we heard God calling us to choose, to choose whether we're going to follow him or follow fear. And so we cried out to God saying, God, this is who we want to be. We want to be those who follow you and not fear. This is who we want to be. We want it to be said of the pastors of BlackRock that we followed you courageously and not fear. And when we cried out to God with this commitment, I've got to say that God really spoke to us in a way that really surprised us as a, as a group. Um, God gave us a vision, as it were. And this vision, God revealed to us that Far from being the worst 18 months in Black Rock's history, God showed us how the next 18 months are going to be some of the best and sweetest days we will ever experience as a church. And that they will be some of the sweetest days that some of us will ever experience in our lifetimes as Christ followers. God showed us how these are going to be sweet days when we will really learn better who God is and who we are in relationship to God. That as a church, we are a people, not a place. That we are a body and not a building. 
And God has already been confirming this vision by the eager way the people of BlackRock have jumped up to serve during these 18 months where we were hoping for maybe 150 people to help us with teardown and setup and guest connections in our new location. We have had over 450 sign up and say, count me in. And God showed us how these days of transition are going to be days that we look back and say, remember those Notre Dame, those First Presbyterian days? Remember those sweet days when we served together like never before? Remember when we trusted God and we saw some great things? Remember how God used us to reach people there at Notre Dame that we could have never touched if we were still here? The third sign, the third sign that God gave to to Moses was unique in that it didn't come directly from Moses' hand. You know, whenever uh, Moses transformed the uh, snake back into a staff with his hand or restored uh, his flesh uh, on his own hand, people could mistake that this was Moses' power, but not the Nile bowl. Um, Everyone knew that when he poured blood from that bowl, that was God's hand and not Moses' hand. Well, our transition time is going to be just like the Nile Bowl. During this transition time, the world is not going to see our power. They are going to see the power of God. As we are continually unified, as we are joyful in this new chapter, no one is going to mistake it for our power. It's the power of God in our midst. Anyway, through Exodus chapter 4, God met with the pastoral leadership and he really set us free from fear. And God is going to do the same thing for all of us here at BlackRock. God is going to set us free from fear so that we can set some people free from a fate infinitely worse than Pharaoh. God wants to lead us to a wonderful plan as his church. God wants to lead you to a wonderful plan for your life. But he can't lead you if you're already led by fear. So today, right now, would you let God set you free from fear?